Welcome to this week's podcast from Fearless LA. For more information, check out fearlessla.com or explore the Fearless app. Thanks for listening. This is Fearless Los Angeles. Somebody say Naaman, was the commander of the army, or or other versions would say that he was the captain of the guard. He was bad. He uh, would have been one of the most valiant soldiers. No one, uh, you know, disrespected him. He had fought in battles, more battles, uh, longer battles, and more battles for many more years than many of us have even been alive Naaman, if he was the captain of the guard, would have been the man. Somebody say the man. Now, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram, or this would have been found in an area uh, that today is known as Syria. He was a great man in the sight of his master, and he was highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. I'll stop there just for a moment because that's pretty uh, crazy that the Lord had given him victory uh, for, with a country that was actually at war with God's people. He was the captain of the people of God. He was the captain of their enemy. And my Bible says, your Bible says, that the Lord had given Naaman the privilege and honor of being used as a tool against God's own people. He was valent, a valent soldier. And then look at this, what it says right here. But he had, what does it say? He was a valent soldier, but he had leprosy. Touch your neighbor and say, it's time to get rid of your butt. Not in that way. I know your minds went somewhere else. B-U-T. But it's funny that in the Urban Dictionary, the word drop it like it's hot means to literally drop your butt on the dance floor. And today, I'm daring you to drop your butt on the dance floor. I dare you to drop your B-U-T. He was valent, but he was a leper. What if today we could Drop it like it's hot. What if today we could leave our B-U-T here because everyone has one. Everyone has heard it said about you, about me, about them. She's an amazing person. But she's flaky. They would be incredible in the kingdom of God. I mean, God could use them and point them to be the next prophet to the nations with the gifting and the talent and the tenacity and the fire. But they have a difficult time following God. They're a great preacher, but their life is really just doesn't line up with their preaching. I wish I could hear their preaching. 
but their walk doesn't line up with their talk. I, uh, I would love to go to church like them, but they're hypocrites anyways, just like me. I, she's so nice and beautiful, but she's got an anger problem. Be a great husband, but hmm. be a great wife, but be a great leader, but they can't tithe. They, they don't know how to give. They, they, they would be a valiant soldier, a warrior, but they have leprosy. They, they have this other thing that is in such a contradiction with who they really are that literally the other thing actually outweighs any vision of us seeing the real them. Naaman was valiant and used by God, but he had leprosy. What if today we could get rid of? What is it? I mean, I know you put on nice clothes, and so did Naaman. He was a warrior, but somewhere underneath the armor, who he really was, was killing him. I know you didn't, you weren't ready for a sermon like this because it's got quiet. But that's just as loud as shouting to me. Because I'm not here for shouts. I don't get patted on the back for how loud you, you, you clap. Or if you answer, I, get, I, I, I am here on an assignment. And my assignment today is, is that, we would, that we would drop it like it's hot. That, that we, we would drop it like it's stolen. That, that we would say, look, this is not mine. This is, uh, this, this is uh, what was stolen from me. Then something else was added to me. And this thing uh, is stolen my destiny. It's stolen my, my character. It's stolen my career. Courage. It's stolen. It's stolen my faith. It's stolen. It's stolen who I'm called to be. And I'm going to drop this thing like it's hot. You see, the law of God is not here to beat you up. It's here more like a scientific law, like the law of gravity. If you step into the law of gravity, here's what you'll get. The word of God is, is not a book of destiny like many believe. Uh, you say, why do I think people believe that? Because they buy one, but they don't use it. They buy 10 of them. <laughs> At least I have, right? Have you done that? You got like 10 of them, and they're all different sizes, all different colors. Maybe I'll read it more if I get the big size print. Maybe it's just a small size print. I really thought I would like King James, but I don't know all these, these and thousands and those and these. So I'm just going to get the message, and maybe, and then we put on audio cassettes. Maybe I'll listen to it through audio cassettes. I just got to get back into this thing somehow, some way, right? And we keep trying to grow, but the reality is we have this other thing with us that is covertly trying to destroy who we're called to be. Naaman was a mighty warrior, used of God, but he had leprosy. Huh. Now bands of uh, Aramean Soldiers had gone out, verse 2, and taken captive a young girl from Israel. And she served Naaman's wife. Somebody say the slave girl. She said to her mistress, huh, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. 
So Naaman went to his master and he told them that the girl from Israel had said, By all means, the king of Aram replied, I will send you with a letter to the king of Israel. And remember, these are their enemies. These are the people that that Naaman just conquered. In fact, the reason why I know that is because from conquering them, he captured a slave girl, which wasn't a slave girl, was a free girl, and took her into his own household. And now the slave tells him, I have a prophet in my country Uh, Just follow me on this story. And so he gets his king. His king says, here, you're going to go to the king of the land. And he says, by all means, go. Verse 5. The king of Aram replied, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. And then uh, what happens is he comes, he shows up, he reads the letter. Uh, this is the, the head of the army that just destroyed them, just put them into slavery. In fact, took slaves from his own land. And the king, he walks into the king's quarters. You can imagine everyone's freaking out. Who is this enemy? Can you imagine one of our enemies walking into our president's office? The head, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the worst of the worst criminal uh, from, from some of the armies we're fighting. They walk into the head's office and he says, hey, I, I heard that someone here could heal me of leprosy. And so the the king uh, actually, uh, in in his own thoughts, thought this is a plan to destroy us. There's no way that this is real. And so the Bible says that he rips his robes and sends him away. Now the Bible picks up right here in verse uh, 8. It says that when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he stooped at the door of Elijah. Somebody say stoop. Wow. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself, (laughs) your flesh, in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored and cleansed. But Naaman went away angry, and he said, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call in the name of his God, wave his hand around in the spot and cure me of this leprosy. <laughs> Are there not uh, better rivers, Abinon, Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? <laughs> Couldn't I wash in the Bahamas? Couldn't I wash in the crystal clear rivers? You want me to go to Israel, the muddy rivers of Israel? You want me to get more dirty? Before I can get clean? If it was them, I would have washed and be cleansed. So he turned and he went off in a rage. Naaman's servant went to him and said, Father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, wouldn't you have done it? How much more then when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times. As the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored, and he became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, stood before him, and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Does anybody believe that right here? Please accept the gift for your servant. And the prophet answered and said, Surely as the Lord lives who I am served, I will not accept a thing. From Naaman, but Naaman urged him and he refused. And then he says, This, if you will not, said Naaman, please let your servant be given as much earth as a pair 
of mules can carry. Now watch this. For your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to another God but the Lord. At the end of this picture, Naaman fully changed, fully transformed. The enemy of Israel asked the prophet, the only thing I need left is some of the dirt from Israel to take with me to build an altar in my country that not has only altered my life, but will alter my country. Somebody tell your neighbor, drop it like it's hot. Come on, all of you, tell your neighbor, drop it like it's hot. What an incredible story. It reminds me of the story of Paul when he said there's this thing that's covertly evil on my life. And later we could read that Paul, Paul said it's like a body of death. And, and back in their day, what that meant is they had an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It was not uncommon to see people walking around. With, uh, you know how today we have, oh, if you have a teardrop, oh, that means, oh, what, we don't know what that means really now. Some people just get it for cool looks and stuff like that. If you have a teardrop here, please don't be nervous. We're not going to ostracize you. But, but almost back in those days, it wasn't a teardrop that meant you hurt someone. It was, it was an eye missing or a tooth missing, or uh, an arm missing, meant that if your arm was missing, the government had literally took the arm from you because you took it from somebody else. In fact, to punish a person that committed murder, uh, they, they, would, they would take the body, they would find it, dig it up, whatever they could, whatever mutilated parts were left, and they would attach the dead, rotting carcass to the live body, and, and that body that you killed through the gangrene and the worms and all the nastiness that decomposes a body would now decompose your body. And so it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And what Paul stated in this verse is like, I keep trying to do good, and there's this thing inside of me that, that keeps wanting to do bad. And every time I, I start living for God, it's like I'm not there alone. I'm at the altar worshiping, and there is something else there worshiping with me. And the enemy, he's smart, man. If, if you're a great thief, you know if you could get into the window, why try going through the door? Right? If the window's been cracked and proven, if I go through the window, it opens every time, what are you going to do? You're going to go get more friends and more buddies and rob the house more, but you're not going to look for any other entrance. You're just going to keep going through the window. And here's what the enemy does to us. He finds a crack, a hole, an area we have not allowed God to reign in, and he keeps coming in, and we keep building up our walls, and we keep adding things to our life. Maybe if I pray more, maybe if I reinforce this door, and, and, and what the Lord wants to say is that there is this cracked window that you keep leaving open, but here's the greatest thing you could do. Don't just close the window. Put me in charge of the window. You see, that's what it means to, to live your life with Jesus. That's what it means to resist the devil and he will flee. Put Jesus in the place. You see, this is why people hide what they're, what they're embarrassed of and they hide the body of death. And, and all that does is give more validity to the body of death to keep on destroying us. But what we have to do is what Paul did. He said, all this is going crazy. But let me sum it up in one sentence. Praise be to God for Jesus who took the body of death. But later Paul describes, and I had never seen this. He said, he said, look, the law, the law is a covenant. 
The law is a covenant, and, and, and it judges your life a certain way, it, meaning to those people the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses, and then all the laws that they had added from the time of Moses to the time where Paul's standing there, the book of the Mishnah, the 613 different laws that they had to live out. I don't know if you knew about that, but when, when Jesus was walking through a field, the, the, the law people would call him on the law. Oh, you bumped a piece of wheat, and it's the Sabbath. Uh, how could you say that you're God? How could you say you're righteous it's the sabbath and you you broke one of the laws which was not working on the sabbath so by bumping the wheat you have you have and they would take the law and they would split hairs of the law and this is what this is what we like to do because because our flesh is subject to the law but paul later says just like if i was married and my wife passed away right the it says here's here's what's in the law if you're married then you, you, you are with that woman. You are with that man. You are, the law has said, the law of God and the law of the land has said, this is a covenant that should not be broken, right? But if, if, if while I'm in that covenant, I go start uh, seeing another, then that's called adultery. But if my wife died, then the covenant also died when my wife died. That's what he says later. He says, he says the law of marriage only lasts while you're alive. And if your spouse dies, it's now not adultery to go marry someone else, right? We all know that. But why don't we know that with the word? Right? He says, the law of my word is standing there holding you because the law of sin is still alive. As long as this other person you allow to remain alive, you will be judged by the law See, look, sin is not trying to get you to judge it inside of itself. It's actually trying to get you to submit to the law because I'm still here. I'm still around. I'm, and this is what Jesus did. He didn't just come to free you from your sin. He came to kill your sin on the cross so it would cancel the law that you couldn't live out, therefore opening the door for you to be married to another. We are the bride of Christ. How can I be married to Jesus and married to the law? And the only way I'm married to the law, the rules of the law, is because sin is still alive. I have to allow sin to be put on the cross. But how will sin be put on the cross if I'm hiding it and listening to it and living with it because I'm embarrassed, because I'm weighted down by the law? What Paul is saying is this is a crazy cycle. I keep trying to do good, and the law reminds me, you're not living up to it. You're not doing it. You're never going to fall. You're never going to get there. You're never going to make it because the, the law of sin is still alive. I have to murder the law of sin in my life on the cross. Jesus didn't die for us. He died as us. It's different. He died in our place. And we worship. Wow, look at this cross. But we keep ripping sin off the cross and we carry it around with us like we can't get rid of it. What Paul is saying is all this is going on. Wow, thank God Jesus crucified my sins on that cross so I was free from the law and now I can live with the spirit of life. And Naaman was valiant. But there were two of him. He was mighty, but he was 
also angry. He was powerful, but he was also full of fear. Have you ever stepped out into your destiny, but not gone there alone? Have you ever just jumped down to what God called you to do, and you're like, well, he's coming with us. <laughs> you know, what's funny is that Moses brought along Aaron. It's funny that Aaron in the Bible led the people in rebellion over and over again. The other me is leading this thing. As long as the other me is here, it is leading. But my spirit has to rise up and say daily, daily, I have to look at this thing. Day, doesn't the Bible say daily pick up your cross and follow me? What is it saying to us? It's saying every morning, this flesh, it likes to keep rising from the dead. It just keeps getting up. Thank God when we get to heaven, it's going to be dead once and for all, right? But, but it keeps rising up and it keeps following me around. And guess what? It's our job to catch that this is not a book of destiny. It's a book of decisions. Because destiny is not held by the Bible only. I can't just have the Bible and walk out my destiny. You say, I just purchased everyone a Bible, and then I'm like, okay, cool, God, we're ready. Fearless, we're warriors, we're ready to go. Everyone's got a Bible. No, because <laughs> it's not a book of destiny. You can't put it on your arm, rub it like a genie in a bottle, right? It's not some magic luck charm. If you put it on your bed, demons will run. Right? It's a book of decisions. Because destiny is not held by the Bible alone. Destiny is held by your character. Right? See, we all will shine once Jesus comes inside of us. But the question is, will you shine like a shining star or a shooting star? Here one day, gone tomorrow. Oh, there's a shooting star. We'll never see it again, sorry. There's been many shooting stars that have come and preached and seen great miracles and seen wonders. And guess what? Shooting stars hurt people more than shining stars. Because a shooting star usually crashes into something. Will we be shooting stars or shining stars? We are the lights of the world. We are called to shine. Look, I don't care if you could do this for a day. I want to see you live this out for a lifetime. If you can't live it for a lifetime, if we can't be 80, still jumping. Look, don't jump now if you're not going to jump then. Don't shout now if you're going to retire from this thing instead of refire from this thing. I want to see some old rockers up in the house one day dancing with their cane, their hair weave falling off. I want to some, you know what I'm saying? I want to see some people shout. Look, I came to talk to a culture. We're creating a culture, a culture of people that say, you know what? I want to have character in my life. I want to have character because if I have character, the destiny part is up to God. Right? He's finished my destiny. It says in the Bible, what use arguing with God about your destiny? It's already been decided. It's already done. It's already completed. Did the sun have to create how it's going to shine? No. God did that. The sun just ushered in what God already created. You don't believe me? Look at your Bible. It says on the first day he created light, but only on the fourth day did he create the sun. He created light first, then he went backwards and made the sun. Why? Because God doesn't work from imperfection to perfection. 
Like he doesn't make a stick figure and then hopefully he gets 3D and then eventually he can make clay molds and then eventually he's going to be a masterpiece. No, God speaks and it becomes perfect the first time he does it. So when he makes your destiny, he makes it complete and finished. And then he goes all the way back to the beginning. He said, I'm looking for a man or a woman to make choices based on my word. I've given you a map. I've given you a blueprint to get to where I've designed for you. The only way you'll get there is if you listen to the choices, these choices over these choices and these choices over this guy's choice and if you make one decision for the rest of your life daily I'm going to kill this man on the cross and so that you can raise up who I'm called to be and character is formed by your habits what you do habitually will become your character if you're always late you're flaky if you're always on time they're studious. If you're leaning in, shouting down the preacher, they're hungry. If you look bored in the back, they're apathetic. What you do over and over and over again produces who you are. Not just who you are when everybody's looking, but who you are up here. And most of us are someone else up here than we are out here. Character is who you are in the dark when no one's looking. That will mess you up. If we could only judge and look at who you are based on when no one's around, who would you be? Would it be different from the person we know? And I guarantee 90%, 99, 99.999% would say, yep, if you could. But your pride won't let you hold you down. My pride won't let me. And habits are formed by choices. Whatever I choose to do over and over will become my habits. <laughs> Just recently I went to the doctor and they told me I got to stop drinking so much coffee. So you're drinking way too much coffee. I said, sir, it started with two and then it went to three and then pretty soon four and then five. Now I'm up to nine coffees a day. He said, nine coffees a day? You are going to die early. I said, no, at least I'm going to live happy, right? <laughs> and then I realized that my body couldn't handle the decision I was making. And my destiny cannot be held up by the habits I'm forming that is determining how long I will live. My destiny is older than I'm allowing my body to grow to. So ultimately, your destiny is not formed by just having the word of God. It's formed by allowing the word of God to determine the thing that forms your holding and keeping of your destiny, your choices. So whoever controls your choices controls your destiny. Who do you allow to control your choices? Everyone here is the sum total of all our choices. What my kids look like is the sum total of me choosing my wife, her choosing me. Thank God she chose me. I was praying for that she would choose me back, read the word, and God told her, you know. Right, and our kids look a certain way. If I would have married, if I would have made a different choice and married someone else, my kids would. Everything in your life is determined. We love to watch make pe people make choices, especially bad choices. That's why reality shows are booming. That's why we love The Bachelor, even if we don't want to admit it, guys. Sometimes we secretly watch with our wife. We're like, oh, I, I don't want to watch this it's stupid because they're just making stupid choices, and you feel bad for everybody. But it's kind of entertaining <laughs> to watch people make bad choices. Because then you don't have to make the same ones they made. And I could just watch them 
ruin their life, right? And you feel bad because you're a Christian and you want them to make right choices and know God. But, but really, if we, could, if we could be honest, if you watch American Ninja Warrior, your favorite part's not the guys that make it. It's the, the weird guy that chooses to run naked the course. And, and it's like, what's happening? Like, this guy made a bad, he was a really good ninja. If he would have just wore clothes, he would have been the top American Ninja Warrior. But he didn't. But I'm glad he didn't. Partially, I won't tell anyone uh, because that's embarrassing. But I'm glad he made a bad choice so I could mock his bad choice because it's all about choice. You are the son. You are the weight you are. You're the size you are. You're in the job you are, right? I made a choice. Anybody, anybody with me? I've, I've made some choices that have led me to a place that is a bad place, and I don't know what to do in this place anymore because I, I'm, va- I'm valiant and I'm a warrior. I can't erase the call of God off my life. The Bible says the call and gifts of God are irrevocable, meaning once he puts it on you, once he sets it up, it's always there. Because that's his part. You can't touch his part. (laughs) But you cannot make choices in time and not injure eternity. Here's the good news. Is that we have a basis to make our choices often. We have a, a, a thing that will direct all our paths. And good thing this word is eternal. All over the Bible, it says this, Isaiah 40, it says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Having been born again, 1 Peter 1.23, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. This word is eternal. Good thing the flesh is temporal. Have you ever just been having a bad day? (laughs) You know, just a really bad day. And in that bad day, you had to make some choices about how you were going to respond and how you were going to act. Two years ago in planting a church, I, I did not know how to respond to stress very good. Two years ago, I got shingles on my face from my responses to the stress that was in front of me. Have you ever just been in a situation that, that you didn't really know what to do and, and, and you, ever, you ever just read Google when you shouldn't have? My wife tells me not to do this all the time. My, my side's hurting or my stomach's hurting, so I go on Google. What happens if your side's hurting in the middle of the night, right? And then I got one symptom, two symptoms, three symptoms. I'm going to die, right? I, I, got, I got this disease. What you, what's wrong? I think you have gas. No, I don't have gas. Let me look up gas on Google. Oh, yep, you have the same exact symptoms for gas and some disease that will kill you five times, right? And you're, you're, you're jumping, and what Google is doing is it's jumping to the end of a report from somebody else. So here's what the word wants to do. It wants to be your Google. It wants to jump to the end of a report from somebody else. Now here's the good thing about the word is it's eternal, meaning it stands outside of time, looking in on time, and because of the heaviness of eternity weighed in comparison to temporal, it always wins. Have you ever just gone crazy, and then you stepped into a prayer meeting, and all of a sudden as you prayed and you saw God, All of a sudden, the thing that you thought was so big of a deal 
became so small. Wherever my eyes are will be where I eat. Wherever my eyes are. If my eyes are on the flesh, I'm going to eat there. If my eyes are on the flesh, I'm going to eat there, meaning here in time. I'm going to eat with reality in, in my eyes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed my spirit wherever my eyes are. Right? So, you, so you, you are not flesh. You are not a soul. You are a spirit that lives in flesh or a body and has a soul. Your emotions aren't bad. It's when your emotions lead your spirit that it becomes bad. When your spirit leads your emotions, you can do things like cry in the presence of God. Like you wouldn't want God to take away your emotions. Like I'm just like. Right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Right? So these emotions are incredible. But it's when your emotions lead your spirit that they hurt people. Because that's not how it was meant to be. It's when your eyes are focused on now that you eat to feed now. But when your eyes are focused on eternity, then now doesn't seem to bother you that much because this is just, just my emotions. Just telling me about this world. Thank God I have these emotions because I can connect to people through emotions. I can win people through emotions. I can I can be a human through emotions. Thank God God didn't just make us spirits. I mean, that would have been nice, huh? But we wouldn't have touched anyone's life. They're looking for God, but they can't see him. Why? Because he's spirit. Their eyes are blinded to that, but he put us dangerously in flesh while our spirit being alive so that our spirit would lead this flesh they say that chickens eat with their face pointed down it's funny that chickens although they have wings can't fly but the eagle but it's unique that the mom will take pieces of branches and, and put them in to build the nest before the baby ever arrives the nest will be built and takes pieces from here and pieces from there and really pieces from where she's been build into the nest that the baby's born into. And you were born into a nest that your mom or dad built pieces of themselves into where they had been, what they had been through, what they had struggled through, and they built it into the nest that you were born into. And no one got to choose their nest like you didn't get to choose your family. And really how we learn and how we, how we, how we move and how we act and who we listen to in our life is really built into us from a young age. And our attitude that determines our altitude is built into us from, the, from the, how we learn how our mom and dad communicated and how they fought things out and how they, who they listened to. They listened to the spirit or they listened to the flesh. And we were built into that. And, and when you're in the nest, you see everything through the lens of the nest. You see life. You see how they're treating you. You, you see it not alone. You see it through the lens of what you've been through. You've had some jacked situations that you've been born into. And it was everywhere they had been, they brought into the nest. And Christy talked about last week, if you remain in the nest, you die. You know, the mom literally will put in at the bottom of the nest spikes in the bottom of the nest. We'll take thorns and thistles and put them in the bottom of the nest so that at a certain point when the weight of the eaglet is heavy enough, it will fall and that nice cushion padding will eventually hit the thorns in the bottom of the nest. See, some of you 
have become heavier than your environment you were born into. And some of you are, are kind of feeling this agitation in your spirit. That, that What is this? What's going on? Why am I walking through dealing with these things? Or why is this coming up now? Have you ever heard that? Why is this coming up now? It's because God has been depositing in you weight. And that weight was meant so you could fly. It's getting heavy. And as your, your weight increases, the... God has built something into the system that is literally ejecting you out of the environment you are born into. And he's calling you up higher. An eagle finds its home in, in the air. Chickens live on the ground. Eagles search for food on the tops of mountains. They have a different eagle eye viewpoint on things. They see the same reality that everybody else sees from a different vision. And their vision determines how they respond different than a chicken. A chicken is stuck on ground level. And it's stuck in its own feces. It's stuck in, its, in the sticks and in the mud. And it's unique that chickens will actually eat the sticks and the mud and their own feces. Because they eat the environment that they stay in. Some of us are still living like chickens, eating the environment we were placed in. When just because you were raised with chickens does not mean you are a chicken. There is an eagle inside of you. Thanks for listening to another powerful message from Fearless LA. You can follow what's happening at Fearless by going to fearlessla.com, exploring the app, or looking us up on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. If you would like prayer, check out the prayer wall in the Fearless app. God bless you.